This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Yeah, last night we had uh, Jamie Lannister at the Blue Book House. Probably intercepting Al Gore while he was trying to go eat a spring roll. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, I know you're just trying to eat. I'm really sorry to do this. So when I came in, I I was joking around with my friends and I was like, "Ah, I'm a fruit salad of emotion. (laughs) Had a selfie with Michelle Yeoh. Oh, nice. (laughs) And said congratulations to her. On the other side, I had met absolutely phenomenal, wonderful people, you know, full of inspiration and energy. And it's so catalytic to, to talk to them and kind of see what they have been doing. And they come from all generations and all parts and of, of life. Hi, I'm Go Yanhan, a political correspondent at The Straits Times. A couple of weeks ago in January, I flew to Davos, Switzerland with some colleagues for the 2024 World Economic Forum annual meeting. The WEF for short, it brings together some of the biggest names in politics, business and economics from all over the world every year. Critics, media have discussed over the years, is the WEF still relevant? Or is it just a gathering for the world's elites? I had to talk to as many young people as I could to find out their experiences there and write about it given that I was also a young person attending it for the first time. I wanted to know from them what it was like being the youngest voice in the room, or what it was like being in Davos for the first time, and whether it lived up to their expectations. Some of them were part of the WEF's Global Shapers program, which is the forum's intentional effort to bring young voices into the conversation. There were 50 of them this year from more than 40 different countries. I also spoke to a pair of Singaporeans who weren't invited to the main WEF event but were invited to Davos by Bloomberg for its programs, or what kind of seemed to me like mini-WEFs. The other thing I observed is that the way Davos is laid out is that there is a main area where the Congress Centre is for the WEF delegates. That's where people like US Special Presidential Envoy for Climate John Kerry, Microsoft's Bill Gates, and Singapore's President Thaman Shamugaratnam attended the panels and sessions. But outside the area at the main street, or what they call the promenade, Lots of different companies have repurposed the shops and restaurants and turned them into their own event spaces for the duration of the forum. Companies like Intel, Qualcomm, Bloomberg, Emirates, and some countries too, like Belgium and Ukraine, then set up their so-called houses for the week, and people were invited to attend their programs. So really, these events end up bringing thousands of people to what is usually just a ski town full of people looking to do winter sports. When I started approaching these young participants at the WEF, one of my first questions was how they were finding it and if it was living up to their expectations. I spoke to 37-year-old Canadian artist and activist Benjamin Von Wong. His art installations are based on different social and environmental issues like fast fashion, ocean plastics and electronic waste. He then captures them in photographs to try and inspire people to take action to help the environment. The WEF invited him to display his artwork at the Congress Centre, and we chatted in front of his artwork. I think the World Economic Forum has a little bit of a bad reputation. Uh, I think people expect that it's the world's elites coming to make as much money as possible. And I think, to a certain extent, that is true. There are people here to do business. There is a lot of power. There's a lot of exclusivity. But what I've experienced talking to people experiencing the diversity of talent that they have brought in. Like there is a real effort to have people represented by the next generation to be here. 
they give a lot of tickets out to academics, to young innovators, to people that are um, like young activists and NGOs, people that are championing diversity and artists. There are over 30 different artists that are here. And I, I know that might sound like a small number, but they really only give out 2,000 badges a year. And these badges are worth somewhere between like fifty dollars and $150,000. So yes, it is all these things. It is exclusive. It is um, hard to get into and so forth. But that's also part of what makes this experience particularly special. Um, I've had the opportunity to interact with so many people in positions of power that I've never met over the course of just a few days. And um, I think for me, the one thing I feel most of all is grateful. Mm -hmm. This is a conference bringing, bringing together a bunch of people who care about the economic outlook and stability of the world. But I think the theme of the conference itself, we are talking about climate change. We are talking about inequality. We are talking about the systemic change that's necessary. We are mentioning how important it is to take these issues seriously and how we need to accelerate change. I think that nothing is perfect and we can always do better. So is there like a favorite moment or session or person that you've met so far? I think my favorite moment was probably intercepting Al Gore while he was trying nice. to go eat a spring roll. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I know you're just trying to eat. I'm really sorry to do this. But I just wanted to show you some of my art. I created this giant installation out of biochar. And I know that he's really, really a big supporter of biochar. So yeah, and he asked if he could keep the postcard. He gave it to his tour manager. And then we started talking and because um, I wanted to figure out if there was a way that I could support the work that he's doing. I mean, like, when else do you just stumble in yeah. to Al Gore getting a spring roll and having the time to chat with him for five minutes? Next up, I caught up with John Dongo, a 31-year-old from Zimbabwe, who works in a youth mental health space. He focuses on advocacy as he says there is a lot of stigma surrounding the topic there. He is from the WEF Global Shapers Program. It has met my expectations and it has uh, surpassed my expectations. Most of the times in certain sessions, I've found myself being the youngest person in the room mm -hmm. and, you know, a black person in the room mm -hmm. uh, from a, a low resource setting. So it also validated, you know, the reasoning that made me want to apply, that, you know, they are young people from low resource settings that don't have the voice. Mm -hmm. So let's take the voice to those spaces. Um, it's been a learning curve for me. So when I came in, I, I was joking around with my friends and I was like, ah, I'm a fruit salad of emotion. <laughs> so there was a little bit of anxiety, joy, fear, this and that, this and that. I also met Luana Tai from China, who is 31. She works at Xishi Magic Bag, a mobile app to connect customers to restaurants and stores in China with leftover food so it doesn't go to waste. She is also from the WEF's Global Shapers program. Wow, well, it's more than what I expected. I heard a lot about this forum. We start to get emails from all the companies outside the village yeah. who arrange a bunch of events. That's already overwhelming. I mean, if you look at the agenda, there's so many topics and there are so many sessions at the same time. And you definitely feel, wow, if I go to this session, what's the cost of opportunity like cost for this? So it's definitely, definitely overwhelming. Is there like a favorite session or favorite moment you had? I just went to the Congress Hall. Uh, it's a big session with Sam Altman speaking. Mm -hmm. That's the only session he spoke mm -hmm. at. And at the very end, you really feel the, the, the leadership and also a human being, like how human he, he is, because he said uh, last year was a tough year for uh, ChatGPT, for OpenAI, because of the dr drama mm -hmm. happened. And he said... Yeah. 
the most satisfying moment is when he knows he's gonna leave the company, and I think it's very touching. And he he knows all the the team he owns can work independently without him. There's no ego. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes me like think about like what real leaderships are.、Mm-hmm. That's one of the very powerful moments I had at Wife. How would you round up your experience if you are telling someone else, like young a young person like you, about the forum? I would highly recommend because I do believe it's a once in a lifetime opportunity here. Just walking around is amazing. Because I was yesterday, I was saying John Kerry saying、mm-hmm. hi to Bill Gates just in front of me. So it's、mm-hmm. so dramatic.、Um, but there are also like this in person interactions of being here. That brings you the best of experience, and also the knowledge sharing. There are so many sessions. I think I'm gonna go to watch the recorded video because I could not go. Had a selfie with Michelle Yeoh. Oh, nice! <laughs> and also, yeah, she has been a longtime role model, and I told her so. What do you like about her? What do I like about her? Still very passionate and、uh, enthusiastic about work. What she's doing at the age of sixty,、mm-hmm. and、uh, as the first Asian Oscar Best Woman Actress, I think she brought a lot of inspirations for young girls in Asia. One of the few under thirty youth speakers I met at the web was Marie Claire Graf from Switzerland, who is twenty-seven. She is also from the Global Shapers program, but unlike the others I spoke to, she had been to the web before. But only for a couple of sessions and not for the full duration. She trains young negotiators and diplomats for the multilateral negotiations and is also a climate justice activist. Yeah, actually, I have been here for the third time, but this is the first time I'm part of a bigger community as the Global Shapers. Also, the first time I've been here for a whole week and really experienced a lot of different sessions. And that's probably also why I can ref- give you a more reflected answer、uh, in comparison to the other ones where I was just here for a couple of engagements. So. I think the VEF really brings to the surface the beauty and the ugly,、mm-hmm. and、um, in a yeah, in in a very condensed version. Of course, there are a lot of things I would disagree with, and a lot of statements I think is is actually really harmful for our future and the future of the planet,、um, because it kind of comes from an old thinking, an old system, and it probably is also only able to stand because we haven't really listened to what young people and the generation, the current generation, you know. Really wants.、Um, on the other side, I had met absolutely phenomenal, wonderful people. You know, full of inspiration and energy, and it's so catalytic to to talk to them. I kind of see what they have been doing, and they come from all generations and all parts and of of life. I also met Singaporean Saravanan Sugumaran and Daniel Liu. They co-founded an urban planning and architecture firm, Moro Architects and Planners. They also set up Moro Intelligence, which is the advisory side of the firm. While they were not part of the WEF itself, Bloomberg invited them to Davos for its own program. As a first-time attendee, Daniel was very frank about his experience. Every day we felt different. I think on Monday I felt clueless <laughs> because we, you know, we, this is our first time here. We didn't have any guidance. It's not like we've come with people before. So first day we looked at Google Maps. Okay, how do I get to the Bloomberg House? <laughs> and basically, you know, what train station? And then we walk around, and then it's quite daunting. Actually, we were just walking around, and then. You see people like former prime minister of New Zealand just like walk past us by herself, and、uh, 
or, or we see like other people who we've seen in the news before just walking around? You know, Singapore is a cosmopolitan place, but I've not really had such an experience attending conferences in Singapore. So th there's definitely a curated crowd, but with a lot to share, a lot of experiences to um, kind of bounce off and, and, and connect with, actually. Um, the other thing that I think really impressed me uh, was that every time we said that we are from Singapore, uh. very positive uh, remarks, right? No one talked about chewing gum ban. <laughs> uh, no one talked about, you know, a fine city. Or, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, people generally had very good, a very good opinion, very good impression. Um, they generally felt like very safe, very clean. We loved visiting. Very efficient. Good urban planning. Yeah. Mm. Next, I wanted to know how these young delegates felt as some of the youngest voices in the room, trying to be a part of the conversations. As Benjamin von Wong shared, I think the conversations are happening. All the things we care about, diversity, equity, inclusion, opportunity, you know, jobs, sustainable jobs, high-paying jobs, you know, diverse representation, all these are conversations that are happening. The question, I think, is whether the people that need to hear the conversations are in those rooms. Because ultimately, this is, once again, a conference, and you choose where to spend your time. So I think the effort, once again, I, I don't know, I'm not part of the organizing team, but what I have seen in terms of the diversity of sessions and the quality of the speakers and the caliber of the panelists and the moderators, it's, it's really that there's a lot of intention to try to make sure that the conversations are being hosted. Mm -hmm. um, I think when you look at the composition of the panels, there is actually quite diverse representation across age, race, gender, and space. Of course, since we are in Davos, and of course, since this is a European-centric conversation, like the West is overly represented, but that doesn't mean that the others aren't being included just yet. Yeah, but it is, it is definitely Western-focused. I mean, there's no question about it, but we look, look where we are. <laughs> John Dongo also spoke on how conversations have to be intergenerational to allow young people to be heard. I'm advocating for conversation as well as, you know, conversation is the building block of everything. You know, if we don't have conversations, how can we solve an issue? If we don't have conversations, how do we even know that the issue exists? Right, so it's trying to, you know, make sure that conversations happen. And in the happening of conversations, it's an intergenerational conversation. Mm -hmm. It's young people to young people, it's young people to older people, young people to policymakers, so that we have a full context. And when we're coming up with solutions, we're coming up with solutions that are able to address you know, issues from a very holistic you know, point of view, not from a point of assumption. I think this is you know, what young people need, so we're going to come up with this. But let the voice of the young people be heard in the spaces that are important, that matter, so that when we have those solutions, we're having a solution that addresses the needs of the young people, not you know, coming up with a solution and finding out that it's not addressing anything and then going back and coming back again. I really took this opportunity. And the reason why I took this opportunity at an overarching theme was to make sure that you know, young people from under-resourced communities have a voice. Mm -hmm. And growing up in a community, you know, having that lived experience in an under-resourced community, I wanted to make sure that I bring that. I bring that narrative. I make sure that uh, the voices of young people that are coming from under-resourced settings are heard, not only from a you know, bystander perspective, but from a person who has lived it and who has seen you know, you know, the effects of coming from those kind of resources. So I took it as an opportunity to be able to bring uh, not only the work that I'm doing, but the work that we're doing in the hub and the work that's being done within the Zimbabwean landscape and you know, to share that voice. Mm -hmm. So as a young person here trying to bring your voice to the table, mm -hmm. what has that experience been like? 
The experience has been interesting, and I use interesting in a very interesting way. <laughs> and the reason why I say interesting is, um, like I said, some of these conversations are happening without the context uh, mm-hmm. of young people. So some of these conversations are on a, oh, by the way, uh, young people, like young people uh, is an afterthought. So that's one thing that, you know, I really wanted to to get a conversation. And that's one thing that also wrapped me up. So whenever I asked conversations, it was asking conversations from the context of a young person. And, you know, saying, where's the voice of the youth in these conversations? And how can we plug the voice of the youth into these conversations? Obviously, there's still a little, a little bit more that needs to be done in making sure that the voice of the young people that has been incorporated. But I'm grateful that, you know, we are getting an opportunity to come and have these conversations in the tables that matter, mm-hmm. right? With the people that are making the policies, with the people that are driving the economies, with the people that are, you know, shaping the world. Luana Tsai talked about being a young voice in the room as she is an introvert. I'm not doing good enough, I feel, in terms of this, because <laughs> I'm a little bit introvert. But a lot of my colleagues who are also my fellow shapers, they're very bold. And they ask questions on each, every panel, and they really bring the voice of young people to different leaders, elder business leaders. There's a multilateral meeting we had with the, I think it's uh, Alliance of Climate Leaders. Mm-hmm. So they're all like top leaders of the uh, multinational companies. And they really sit down there with a bunch of young people who work in the climate industry, get our emotions, get our the problems we are addressing and the challenges we are facing in our own country. And they're to sit there and listen. So I think that moment is also very powerful. And they heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there will, there will be concrete steps afterwards. So there will be uh, collaborations between the alliance and also uh, shapers community, I believe. So there are experiences like that. You're invited and you get in and you can express yourself freely. As for Marie-Claire Graf, despite being just 27, she might be one of the most experienced at public speaking among the young folks I had interviewed. Several years ago, she was a participant at the first Climate Youth Summit in New York, and Swiss media outlets have even referred to her as their version of Greta Thunberg. Marie-Claire told me about the differences in approaches to problems that the older and younger generations have. I asked her what were her own challenges when she tried to bring a critical perspective to the conversation. As she said, Yeah, so I've been attending almost all the nature and climate related sessions. This is my area of interest and also very actually know a lot. I can also contribute. And then we had, you know, for example, panels where it was just like, okay, if we do a little bit more energy efficiency, we're going to solve the climate crisis. It was like, no, that's not the point. I mean, of course, we have to be more energy efficient. Of course, we should waste less, but it's not going to solve the crisis, right? Um, we had a whole food system to fix. There is like so much, um, you know, we have to transition away um, on how we are producing energy, but also how we are consuming energy, right? We have to think, okay, how can we actually use less? How can we consume less? And it's just like more and more and more, which is obviously not bringing us where we have to be. So I kind of experienced that sometimes, you know, it was a very siloed approach, which I think is something from the past. And when you talk about, you know, breaking out of the silos, how can we think in an ecosystem approach? How can we, you know, like kind of create this mycelium of synergies? I feel like a lot of young people quite naturally think this way. And at least for me and from every generation, there are representatives of thinking this way. But I think it's a tendency that 
younger generations have this more holistic approach in how they're addressing the topic and also put justice, human and nature at the center of the decisions. And to me, quite often, this piece was missing in the discussion, which was indeed quite heartbreaking to see. Also, we have seen a lot of male dominance in some of the panels, you know, not a lot of female representation, and especially also the voices of the underrepresented groups, the frontline communities, the indigenous peoples, young people who I not only believe they need to be heard, but they need to be heard and be actually able to solve the crises we are stuck in, right? Mm-hmm. So as a young person here trying to bring these like th- these viewpoints to the table, like how does that feel like? Again, probably two different perspectives. I had fantastic, phenomenal speaking opportunities, talk to some of my biggest role models in life to talk to some people I disagree, but that's fine, right? Because we need to have this discourse and that's why there's a beautiful convening here. So, I mean, I had a lot of, ability to actually bring across my points. And I also received a lot of uh, very positive notions on, you know, the diversity of the representation we need to bring into decision making to under the team of this year's forum about building trust, restoring trust, regaining the trust, as well as hope by shifting and sharing the power in decision making. So I think this was really phenomenal. And I I feel heard, seen and also listened to. And I think there are going to be a lot of beautiful follow ups as well, and really growing this ecosystem. On the other hand, there were a lot of questions, you know, myself and other global shapers posed, which were very critical, and that was the whole purpose of it, which just were brushed off, were not answered. Um, people who kind of look through you because you're asking a critical question on the ongoing wars, for example, which is unfolding in Palestine, but also other places in Congo and Sudan, um, which people do not want to talk about. And I think that's really important that we are addressing it in an equal manner and that we're open to all of it, despite we might disagree, but that we're respecting each other and I have sometimes felt that because I'm young, because I'm a woman, I was less respected than other people in the space. And it unfortunately happened to many of my colleagues as well. So that's definitely also here. So it's, yeah, I kind of put it on a balance, but there are both sides here. For Singaporeans Daniel Liu and Saravanan Sugumaran, it was initially quite daunting coming from a startup from Singapore to have a seat at the table and rub shoulders with the big names. Actually, you know, it's our first time here, so it can be quite daunting, you know. Uh, we were sitting in some round tables where, uh, you know, our firm is an SME, right? It's small, we're a startup, and in the peer group on the round table were former ministers and, uh, you know, uh, the CEO of a company that has 120,000 staff in the same space that we are in. So, yeah, yeah it can be a bit intimidating, especially for first-time uh, attendees like us, but I think it's quite unique for a company like ours from Singapore to to be able to engage in that space as well and share the views from, you know, because we operate in developing economies more, whereas uh, most of the delegates here are more Western European or the US focused. So that's also another view that we can bring. Like the firm is young, but we are also some of the youngest participants uh, <laughs> within the round table. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was, that was memorable because not a lot of times, especially in uh, urban development work in our part of the world, mm. do younger people like yeah, us, it's yeah. rarely we get a chance to say that, I suppose, but offer some of our perspectives. And that's been an interesting experience because in that setting, you know, in a way, the age doesn't really matter. Um, it's what you have to say. It's based on your experiences. So young firm, young guys, <laughs> but still, I think, valuable enough to share our experiences with the hardened heads of development. I also posed these questions to the young participants in our chats. Are there areas that the web can do better or topics that the forum should focus on in future editions to remain relevant to the younger generation and discuss the topics that they care about. 
John Dongo said the youth voice needs to be less of an afterthought and has to be more embedded within the conversations. Yeah, so when we're uh, off air, one of the things that you mentioned was around, you know, conversations around youth mental health and how they haven't been as topical. Obviously, there were uh, sessions where there's an intersection between, you know, something else, AI and youth mental health, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, digital literacy and, and mental health. But conversations around youth mental health, for me, I think needed to be also, you know, fully embedded into the program because, you know, statistics show that uh, suicide among young people is like one of the leading causes of death. And that's really shocking. And that's globally. I'm not talking about, you know, the African context. That's globally. Mm -hmm. So those conversations really matter uh, because if young people are dying at such a rate, that means it's going to have a ripple effect. It's going to mean a dwindling labor force. Mm -hmm. So we need, and it then affects, you know, multiple areas. So it then affects AI, it it then affects, you know, uh, the AFCFTA, it then affects education. It affects so many spaces, right? So I think such conversations need to also be in the forefront so that we bring up a healthy, happy, you know, generation that's able to positively uh, play a part in the development of their nations, communities, and uh, families. I hope that as you know, more annual meetings take place, the youth voice takes center stage. Not the young people, uh, you know, being advocates, but also you know the policymakers already knowing that is important as we frame these conversations to make sure that the youth voice is embedded within these conversations. Obviously, then we'll come in and add more, but the youth voice really needs to be a part of these conversations more. Marie-Claire said that the young voice has to come stronger in future iterations of the WEF. In short, they have to rejig old-fashioned ways of thinking. The WEF itself sees it as a convening and mm-hmm. talking about different topics. I'm really delighted to see on one side that nature, climate, ecosystem, systemic approaches have been gaining attention, that they are hard. It's also a part of the risk report the WEF is always producing, where we really see that this is the major topics we have to talk about. And so it gained more and more attraction and attention, and it's getting in the main program. So that's really phenomenal to see. Yet I do think that very often, not all the sessions, but in quite a few sessions, we look at it still from a very old-fashioned way, again, like not putting nature at the heart of this, not putting the humans, the justice elements into the heart of the discussion. So we talk maybe about climate, but in a very technocratical, political way. Or like, right. On the other hand, of course, the, the WEF has always a, like the kind of geopolitics which is going on in the world. And I feel there it was the whole conflict with Palestine was not addressed in a correct manner. Um, there was not enough voice given to Palestinian representatives to talk about the ongoing war in, in Gaza. Whereas also there are so many other conflicts which just haven't been talked about at all. And I feel if we are a convening of a platform, we cannot have an, an imbalance in how we're looking at it because justice is the same and we have to all come together and, and fight for this justice. And that's why I think that there is a huge imbalance which needs to be addressed. So that's probably like two of the areas where I feel that the voice of young people haven't you know, or could come stronger. And I do hope that there's a course correction in the, in the future. Daniel Liu and Saravanan Sugumaran realised that young people might not feel that the WEF is relevant to them today. But they said there is still value in being at the WEF, as well as having such a platform for global leaders to congregate and spark discussions. So I, I think there's a lot of justifiably scepticism around what WEF represents. But that only tells one side of the story, because... Yes, there are many global leaders here, 
talking about things that maybe on the ground in your own personal lives you feel are not so relevant to you or actually maybe not impactful right now. But to be frank, a lot of the conversations we have actually center around the start, I become the start of discussions or, or policies or discussions on building frameworks or standards that are very forward-looking and maybe adaptive 5, 10, 15 years down the road. So I think if I was a young person, what I would be, I am a young person, <laughs> more or less. What I am interested about WEF is, okay, what are they talking about now that will be relevant for my life 5, 10, 15 years down the road? I think if you're a young person, I think the whole WEF media ecosystem apparatus maybe currently is not effectively geared for you. Mm. I, th- I would say I think it's probably fair to say that. But if you look at the WEF website, actually a lot of the way the news and the information is presented is actually very simplified mm. and it's very direct, it's very applicable. Um, I would say don't, don't be afraid of the word World Economic Forum, but really go to the website and I found it very simple and very direct, some of the language. If you're a young person in Singapore, I do think you should pay even more close attention because we've had people like our president come, we've had ministers come and talk about really cutting-edge stuff. So it was Singapore's mention yeah. along with the AI framework and Singapore's mentioned as a responsible and reliable partner in the way AI frameworks will be globally being adopted. That puts Singapore in a nice global kind of leadership center stage. Yeah. And if you're a young person in Singapore, especially if you're being very connected and you want to understand the direction of travel for Singapore, particularly in the years to come. I think this is a good point to see how Singapore aligns itself with some of its other global partners. Um, so I, I would say definitely, you know, have a keen eye, have an interest in what's happening here. But maybe it can also be a little bit more tailored for some of that audience. That doesn't mean they have to make a TikTok video. Lah. <laughs> yeah. So that almost brings this podcast to an end. I'll just summarize my experience at the World Economic Forum by saying that walking around the Congress Center, trying to find young delegates to talk to was not an easy task, which showed how the crowd was generally older. I could see that the participants invited for the mini-wefs along the promenade were perhaps on average slightly younger. So while the web is trying to bring in more young voices to the forum, it seems there is still some way to go for this annual event in Davos. The young delegates I spoke to also brought up important points, as you have already heard. Benjamin Von Wong pointed out that there are conversations happening at the WEF that young people care about. But the question is whether the right people who have to listen to these conversations are listening to them. As the forum continues year after year, criticism continues to pile up about the demographics of the attendees and the lack of clear action arising from the discussions as well as reports of high-profile government officials skipping out on the event. Can the WEF evolve? The world, though, has not completely turned on Davos yet as the place to be. There are still plenty of folks who are really hoping to get a chance to be there, whether invited to a house along the promenade or to the main event. And for those who are there, the experience seems invaluable in building connections and having a platform to sound out their views regardless of whether they are heard. I saw lots of young, ambitious, energetic people with fresh perspectives looking to leave their footprints in the white Davos snow. On that note, we hope you like this podcast. If you'd like to catch up on my articles from the World Economic Forum in Davos, the link is in the podcast show notes. Thanks for listening. 
Send your feedback to podcast.sbh.com.sg. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or within our Straits Times app. Thanks for listening.